0: Amen. Thank you so much for the beautiful singing this morning. I love singing about heaven, don't you? One day we're going to be there, going to sing in heaven, just like these songs represented. We're going to sing praise to the Lamb who is worthy. And he's worthy down here, too, to sing his praise. So, yeah, beautiful singing. Thank you to the musicians and and the choir. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter forty. We continue our series on Joseph, molded by the hand of God. Just like Joseph, you and I have troubles in life, adversities, setbacks, disappointments. And God uses those things to mold us and make us stronger in the faith, to mold us and make us more like the Lord Jesus. We can turn the wrong way and become bitter and angry and miserable. Or we can turn towards Christ and find grace and strength and uh, growth. And that's what Joseph did. And it's a beautiful story. God God gives it many chapters. One-fourth of the book of Genesis, God devotes to this story about Joseph. Joseph. Well, you remember Joseph was, of course, abandoned by his brothers. They were going to kill him, and then they decided to throw him in a pit and just let him die slowly out there. And then they decided to sell him and make a little money. So they sold him as a slave going into Egypt. He was bought by a man named Potiphar, who was high-ranking in the uh, Egyptian government, in the guards. And uh, he did well, and Potiphar let him be in charge of everything. He was still a slave. And uh and then, of course, his wife told the lie about Joseph, and Joseph was a man of integrity. He refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife. And though she was persistent in trying to talk him into it, and uh so Potiphar believed her lie, and now Joseph is tossed in prison. And that's where we find him today. I want us to back up and read just a few verses in chapter thirty nine. Back up to, to verse twenty there in verse in chapter thirty-nine. Thirty-nine, verse twenty. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph. Amen. Wherever you and I go in our troubles and trials in life, the Lord is with us. He said, I'll never leave you. Amen? So the Lord was with him and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to his own thing that was under his hand. Because the Lord was with him, that is, with Joseph. So the keeper didn't have to uh, do the administrative work at all. Uh, Joseph was doing it. And uh, that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. It's, it's, of all the words that could be used, God chose the word prosper for a man who had gone through all this terrible affliction, who had lost his family... And who was a slave and was poor and didn't have a thing to his name. Probably not even the clothes on his back. That was probably prison clothes. I don't know. And he was in prison. Uh, And God called him prosperous. Because he was prospering in the important side of life. Spiritually. In his relationship with the Lord. Now, a few more verses. Look at verse... 1 of 40, and it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth or angry with the two of the officers against the chief of the butlers and the chief of the bakers. And he put them in the ward uh, of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with their, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. The guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. They continued a season in war, or in the ward. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray, for each of us. Everyone sitting here right now have been through difficult times. Maybe some are going through really difficult times right now. Those in the room, those online. Or maybe we're about to go through a difficult time. But the truth is, trouble and heartache, disappointment is a part of life. Teach us how to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last year I told you a true story about a... Young man by the name of Gilbert Tuhaboni. He lived in Africa in a country Baruni. And uh, he he was a runner. He loved to run. He started running in middle school. One day in high school, it was a normal day, there was about a hundred students. And some teachers, all together a little over 100, there at his school. He was in high school, normal day, probably thinking about running. Couldn't wait to get out of school so he could run. And the Hutu tribe, which was an enemy to the Tutsis. He he was a Tutsi, but the Hutu tribe was an enemy. And some of their group descended on this school and they they begin to hack the kids with machetes they put them all in one room and hacked them to death and then set them on fire only by God's grace Gilbert lived now he's a high school student so what, what, what is he 15, 17 about Joseph's age when all of this started and uh, he lived. But he was buried beneath all of those bodies of his classmates and his teachers that he loved. And he s- hid and stayed still. The bodies were still burning and smoldering, and so forth. And him laying under the pile. He hid there laid there without moving for nine hours because the Hutu terrorists they were outside that room where they burnt everybody and they were drinking and laughing and celebrating their big victory over killing this hundred plus children and teachers finally a little over nine hours had passed and And Gilbert knocked out a window, climbed through the window, and took off running. The Hutus chased him but could not catch him, and he fled to a hospital. There at the hospital, they took care of him, and the doctor told him, though, he would never run again. But Gilbert felt like the doctor was wrong. He believed God would let him run again. But that's not the miraculous thing. The miraculous thing is his attitude. He could have become bitter and angry. And all of us would have said he had a right to be angry. He had a right to be bitter. And hatred could have come up in his heart. He could have hated those Hutus. But this is what he wrote. And I'm quoting now. I always knew my faith would be tested. And it certainly was in those hours when my school was attacked. My belief in God never faltered. I never blamed Him or wondered how He could let such things happen to me or to my classmates and teachers. I accepted what was taking place. And I knew that it was all a part of a much larger plan for me. End of quote. Wow can you imagine that sometimes people get get angry and bitter and miserable in life because somebody said something that hurt their feelings he did continue to run he broke two national records in Burundi and then because his coaches thought he was Olympic material they sent him to the United States to train he was training for the Olympics and uh, Abilene Christian University offered him a scholarship. He went there. He finished school. He ran, never quite made it to the Olympics. But one one author said of him, he was one of the great runners uh, in America during that time. He's still alive today, and uh, still writing, still speaking. He didn't become an Olympian, but God gave him something even better than that. He became a coach. And an author, he written books and touched the lives of thousands and thousands of people with his testimony, with his writing, and with his coaching. He also started a, something called the Gazelle Foundation. And their motto is, quote, run for the water. And they would run and raise funds. And those funds went to Burundi. To, to dig wells and to supply water for people who didn't have clean water. Now think about this. Half the people in Burundi were the uh, Hutus who tried to kill him and killed all of his friends. He didn't limit the water to just certain tribes. The water the well was for everybody. Wow, he gave back to the very ones that violently took all of those lives. I want to encourage you. We, we face, when we go through trials, we face a dilemma. We could get negative and think about all of our troubles and pat ourselves on the back and say, woe is me and all of that and we can become miserable people. Or we can move forward and we can forgive and we can trust Christ for His strength. And we can acknowledge, as Joseph did, the Lord's with me, and that's enough. That was Joseph's attitude. Well, let's go back to our text. Think with me for a moment. These two men we just read come into the prison. Now, the ancient writings of Egypt describe these uh, officers, Not these particular ones, but people who held this office. The, the, uh, the butler was what we might call today the cupbearer. He's the one who made sure the king got his liquid, whatever that liquid was. And he had to make sure it wasn't poisoned. And uh, sometimes the king would, would request the cupbearer to drink the cup or drink some of it, right in front of him. So if it was was poison in there, it would kill him. So he was a very important person. And the baker, in a similar way, because poison could be put into baked goods as well. And so these were very important offices. Somehow they offended, according to the text, the king. I like what uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee said, kind of tongue-in-cheek. He said, we don't know what kind of offense it was. He said, maybe the cupbearer was carrying some wine, stumped his toe, and spilt it on a really expensive rug. And that offended the king. Well, maybe so. We don't know. Somebody else speculated, and this, this one makes sense, that maybe some kind of poison was found somewhere in the palace, the king's palace. And they didn't know how it got there or who was a part of it. So the two men who were in charge of food and drink were put into prison while the investigation was going on so they could try to get to the bottom of how did that poison get there and what was it for? We don't know, but at any rate, they're in the prison now where Joseph is. And it says Joseph was to serve them. Now, Joseph was a slave, a prisoner, and now he... Even though he's in charge, sometimes being in charge just simply means you're serving everybody. (laughs) Well, that was what it was with Joseph. He was serving these two guys, these two men there in the prison. Well, let's pick up the story. And uh, in verse 4, the end of verse 4, it says they continued a season in the ward. Now, we don't know how long, but starting in verse 5... We know that it's been 11 years since Joseph was sold into slavery. And uh, because we know he's going to get out at 13, and this is two years prior. So that's how we come up with that. But starting in, in verse 5. It's been 11 years. Now, it won't say that in verse 5. I see some of you looking down. It won't say that in verse 5. But when you put the whole story together, where, where those dates are given, we know at this point, He's 28 years old. He's still in prison. And uh, these two men are under his care as such. He's serving them. Now, I don't want us to get the idea that this was a cushy prison with, you know, cable television and, you know, a $100,000 workout room and weights and all that kind of stuff. In verse 15, it's called a dungeon. This was not a pleasant place. In Psalm 105, look at your screen for a moment. In Psalm 105, God gives us a little bit of description of Joseph and what took place. He sent a man, he is God, he sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant or a slave. Look at this next verse whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron. And then the next verse kind of wraps up that middle verse. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him, tested him with these tribulations. So it says he was in fetters and laid in chain. We don't know whether that was as a slave or while he was in prison or probably a little bit of both. Because verse 17 ties in when he was sold... And verse 18 ties in the last part, when he was in prison. Now, the, the, uh, the word iron there indicates iron around the neck. Uh, the ESV puts that verse like this. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. So, here is Joseph in these terrible situations. Now, I, I want to give you, before we look at the text any further, I want to give you five important truths to help us in time of trouble. We see them along the story now, and we'll point them out as we go, and we've already pointed some of them out, but we see them along the story of Joseph, and I want to give them to you as a grouping of five. Look at your screen, and the, the great truths that help us in a time of trouble is, first of all, uh, he, will, he will never leave us. Nor forsake us. You know, the the real key to what's going on with Joseph is the, the Scripture keeps saying the Lord was with him. So acknowledge the Lord's with you. Yield to His Lordship. Let Him know you're trusting Him in this difficult time. He's with us. That's a great truth, isn't it? His grace is sufficient. You remember this passage where Paul had a some kind of physical affliction some scholars believe it was his eyesight he had eye disease it can't be proven but it's a pretty good speculation and uh, uh, he prayed three times that God would take it from him and God said no I'm not going to take it from you think of all the miracles in the New Testament <laughs> and now Paul is asking so he could see clearly so he could write scripture and stuff like that and God said no no uh, he said My my grace is sufficient for you. To paraphrase that passage, he basically says, in your affliction, you'll find my strength. So Paul concluded, well, I can't go on unless you heal me. No, he didn't conclude that, did he? He said, therefore, will I glory in my affliction. (laughs) I'll say thank you for my affliction if it's going to make me know the, the strength of Christ in me. So, His grace is sufficient to see us through whatever it is. Do you know, listen to me for a moment, the Lord Jesus sees all of our tears, doesn't He? And He knows every time your heart is broken and every time you're down and discouraged, He knows. And He loves you with an everlasting love. In Hebrews 4, we're told He's touched. He's our high priest. He's touched with the fillings of our infirmities, the word infirmities there means weaknesses, frailties, difficulties. He's he's touched when he when when you're touched and hurt, he's touched for you in his heart. Isn't that glorious? His grace is sufficient, and then God will not allow more to be put on us than than what we can endure and escape, this passage tells us. Just like the temptation with Potiphar's wife, Joseph had a way of escape and he took it. He fled. He refused to be have any part in that whatsoever. And then he will give you strength. This is a Favorite verse of many, many people, certainly mine too. It's etched in the concrete under the pulpit. I etched it in there myself. And uh, the amp- it says that uh, He gives us strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But in the Amplified, it says, Who infuses us with His own strength. Boy, I love that. Not only does He give us strength, He's given us His strength. And he infuses it right into our souls. And so we have the strength to carry on. We have his strength to carry on. And then, of course, that great promise that all things work together for good. Though we may not see it nor understand it, we have that promise that we can claim. These great promises help us in time of trouble. Now, back to our text. And again, in verse 5, begins a period of time where... Joseph has been in Potiphar's house and in prison 11 years combined. We don't know how that divides up, but 11 years combined. And uh, these two men are there. And verse 5 says, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, in one night each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph come ins un- unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. Now that word sad there is only used five times in the Old Testament. But it, it can be translated, and was translated in secular Hebrew, as to be disturbed, distraught, depressed, troubled, dejected, upset. Pretty picturesque word. They weren't just sad. They were upset about something. They were sad, upset, distressed about something. Both of them. And uh, over these dreams. Look at verse verse 7. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore, look ye so sadly today. Now the word sadly is a synonym to that word above but this particular word is used over 600 times in the Old Testament and uh, again it's translated those same ways Uh, matter of fact it's translated with 51 different English words (laughs) that just kind of helps you see how difficult translation might be the King James themselves the King James translator translated this one word with 51 different English words and and when you add them all together it's over 600 times it's used why are you so disturbed he might be saying to them why are you so sad why are you so upset and so he says tell me I pray you tell me please notice a couple of things about Joseph here um my time's getting away. I'm trying to figure out what I can change and cut out. Um, a couple of things about Joseph here. One is that, uh, that he noticed that they were distressed. Some of us are so tied up in our own world, we don't even notice anybody else's problems or anybody else's distress. Joseph had more problems than anybody But he noticed their problems. He noticed. And and then he cared. He cared what was going on with these two men. And he, he asked them two things. What's wrong? Why are you so sad? And then, tell me, he said. Tell me. He wanted to know. He noticed. He cared. He asked. And then he helped. Now you and I might not be able to interpret dreams. <laughs> I, I hope none of us can. But uh, but we can help people. We can encourage people. We can uh, speak to them. We can run to the store and get them something. We can. Uh, there's a, uh, there's a thousand ways we can help people who are going through difficult, troubled time. If we'll notice and if we'll care, and if we'll ask. Then we're being like the Lord Jesus, of whom the Bible says he's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Let's be touched by the feelings of other people's infirmities. Well, and uh, so verse 8 says, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no uh, interpreter of it, And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me then, I pray you. Now, I've got to start moving quickly, but we've got to stay here for just at least a few moments. They say, we've dreamed dreams, and these dreams have upset us. And the Egyptians put a whole lot of uh, importance on dreams. They even had a professional group of people who were religious professional religious people who were dream interpreters that's what they're bemoaning here we're in we're in jail so we can't we don't have an interpreter we can't go you know pay these professionals to tell us what these dreams mean later not not long after this account the notes of all those dream interpreters were, were, came together in Egypt, and they had a, something called the Book of Dreams, which helped the, this professional group of people know how to interpret dreams. It was a big thing in, in Egypt. But on, The only Hebrews, the only Bible characters who were Hebrews walking with the Lord who interpreted revelatory dreams was Joshua and Daniel. There was only two Of those Old Testament's heroes, so it wasn't a big thing among the Hebrews, but it was a big thing among the Egyptians, and it plays a big part in this story, of course, of Joseph. And he says, "Then do not interpretations belong to God?" Now remember, they've been here a while—a season. It said in verse four or uh, verse uh, four, yeah—and they've been here a season. Now, he says, uses the term God. Remember, I mentioned before, that the Egyptians had 2,000 gods and goddesses. They had a God for everything. You planted your garden. You had a God to help your garden grow and so forth. Apex was the, one of the leading gods, and it was the bull god. and It was symbolized by a, a person's body with a big old bull head up there, you know. And then Ra was the sun god, On was another god, and there was 2,000 of them. No doubt these two guys, they've been in Egyptians all their life to have such a position as they have, and they believed in some of their, those different gods. They probably had favorite gods. Maybe they had a favorite god for Monday and a favorite god for Tuesday, but whatever. Somewhere along the line, no doubt they had discussed... What a strange belief Joseph had. He just believed in one God. I bet they thought that sounded boring, you know. He must have told them it's the true and living God. There's only one. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And, and they shared with him and he shared with them and they talked about it. So that when he mentions God here, they know who he's talking about. It's not God plural, it's God singular. They know he's talking about the one true God that he believes in. So somebody called this a God reflex. And that is when uh, you're thinking about life, you apply God in every area of life. When it comes to dreams, you apply God. If it comes to sickness, you apply God. You know, it's a reflex. And that's the way it was with Joseph. So he tells them that God can interpret. Then he says, tell me them I pray you now we don't have time to read the, about the the dreams. Let me tell you quickly. The first guy dreamed he saw a a vine and it had three branches and the and uh, the three branches had uh, blooms on them, and then they blossomed right in front of his eyes and then he they turned into beautiful grapes. He took the beautiful grapes and he squeezed them into. A cup for Pharaoh, and then in his dream, he takes the cup to Pharaoh. The uh, second fella dreams a similar dream. He's, got, he's the baker, and he's got three baskets on his head, and the top basket has all kinds of baked goods, goodies in it for the king. But while he's taking it to the king, some birds come up, and they eat all the good stuff out of the top one. And so he doesn't have anything to give to the king. So, Joseph says to the first one, this means that in three days, three branches, in three days, you, uh, the king is going to lift up your head. He's going to encourage you uh, from whatever shame this was that you were accused of. He's going he's to declare you innocent. He's going to raise you up and put you back in your job. And, boy, he must have been really excited about that. Then Joseph said... Please remember me, because the cupbearer was very close to the uh, Pharaoh, to the king, because he was carrying his cup. He had the, the ear. Jump, jump down and see what he, what he says. Verse 14, and, and think on me, when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me to Pharaoh, to bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from, uh, in the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this dungeon. So then he gives the interpretation to the second man's dream, and he says, your head's going to be lifted up too, but not in the same way. Your head's going to be lifted up uh, through a hanging. (laughs) The king's going to hang you. Well, that wasn't a good interpretation, was it? But it was a true interpretation, and sure enough, in three days... It was the emperor's birthday. And by the way, the Rosetta stones that were found in the late 1700s that had all kinds of documents concerning Egypt, uh, they talk about the Pharaoh would release a prisoner on his birthday. He would have a big celebration. He would release a prisoner or two. Uh, And so this text points out it was his birthday. And he lets the one man go, and the, the butler or the cupbearer comes and serves him. And the, the other one is executed. Apparently, if the speculation is correct, that they found a little poison somewhere in the building. The investigation led to the baker, you know. Uh, and uh, so, a little play on words. Both of them, their heads were lifted up, one in a good way. One in a not so good of a way. But it both come to pass. Then jump to verse 23 at the end. Uh, verse 22, and he hanged the chief butler as Joseph had interpreted. Verse 23, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Another disappointment. Can you imagine? Two or three days after this happened, I can imagine Joseph's thinking. Man, I'm, I, could, I could hear any day from Pharaoh about the injustice that's happened to me and I'm getting out maybe and maybe he's he's still doing that a month later and two months later maybe saying to himself well there's a lot of red tape and so forth maybe and probably a year later he realizes because by the way we know it's going to be two years about a year later he probably realizes that that cupbearer just forgot me Altogether and left me here in this prison So he's in prison another two years I wrote at the end of verse 23 in my Bible Where it says The butler uh, did not remember Joseph But forgot him I wrote in my Bible But God did not forget him Amen People may disappoint us And let us down And forget us But God never does We are his own We belong to him in the midst of all this let me encourage you my time is just really gone uh, look back at your screen Let me encourage you in his hardship he continued to trust accept the things he couldn't change he continued to serve the Lord he continued continue to confess God's name in front of that heathen crowd and he continued to pray And he continued to love. Let's not let ourselves become negative and bitter and angry with life. Let's keep trusting him. He's good, isn't he? Isn't God good? Let's keep trusting him. Let's keep serving him. Let's keep confessing him. And let's keep loving him and loving others. Bow with me, please. With uh, with your heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I'm going through a difficult time. Pray for me. Is that your request this morning? Would you slip your hand up? Yes, God bless you and you. and God bless you. Yes, people everywhere around the building. God bless you, each one. God knows that. He knows the details. He sees your tears. He knows your disappointment and heartache. Maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never been washed clean in the blood of Christ, redeemed by that blood. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Anybody like that? No one's going to embarrass you. We're going to pray for you. Anyone? All over the building? All right. Father, thank you for your grace and love and kindness in the time of difficulty. Thank you for the example of Joseph. And you've seen the hands of your people. You know the details of their lives. You see their tears. Maybe when no one else sees, you see their tears. Comfort them. Draw them close to your heart. May each one of them yield to your Lordship afresh this morning. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with me, please. And we